ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Welcome back to another edition of the Real Bourbon Bros Podcast. Essential podcast for the novice yet curious whiskey enthusiast. Giddy up. <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome back into another episode of the Real Bourbon Bros Podcast. As always, with myself, Gary, Steve. Yeah. How's, How are you? How's going, Gary? Very I'm good. really excited about yeah, I'm excited about the this podcast. Can't I'm not gonna lie. This is uh uh, something I've been looking forward to since I met the the gentleman we'll be talking to here about uh, a month ago, six weeks ago now. So been looking forward to our chat coming up here. And uh, yeah, be, without further ado, a uh, great interview planned with you guys here. The master distiller. Who is it? Ross Who is and, it? Well, at Ross and Squibb, formerly, M, formerly MGP. <laughs> um, I keep interrupting me. Ian Sturzman. Ian, thank you so much for joining us tonight. really appreciate your yes. time. And uh Sending us a sweet sample ahead of time. So welcome. welcome, Ian. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime I can uh, talk whiskey with people, I'm, I'm down. So thanks for having me on. Of course, awesome. of course. So um, I know, and I'll, I'll kind of take the lead, Steve, uh, in the beginning, because I met Ian before. We, we kind of had a good chat about everything from whiskey to football and growing up in the Midwest. So it was a pretty good uh, discussion. Um, so Ian, uh, you're, you're obviously from Ohio, correct? Yep. Yeah, from Ohio. Yeah, and you went, so. Ohio okay. University. Get that out of the way. <laughs> yeah, he has a Buckeye, Steve. Well, Steve's, oh, gosh. Steve, two, two of Steve's <laughs> kids uh, went to U of M. So. one red mark there. So, <laughs> so Gary, were you in Ohio too? What was that? Were you in Ohio when you met Ian? No, Ian was down here in Tampa. We okay. did a uh, tasting uh, at Senna, a local uh, restaurant of Remus, um, and some of the other products, uh, the repeal, uh, Rep Remus repeal, I think uh, six was there. Um, Rossville, nice. uh, Rise. Yeah, it, it was a really good selection. And Ian was there talking about uh, his whiskeys and everything that he does um, at uh, Ross and Squibb. And uh, we were just lucky to have him on and uh, he was so nice to say, yes, I'll do the podcast. So in um, with that background in Ohio, you went to Ohio University and as we were talking in person about a month ago, you um, had a, what was your degree in? And then how did you get into being the master distiller? I thought that was a cr very interesting path you took. Yeah. So my, my degree was in chemical engineering um, and I minored in biology. Um, but right when I got out of school, uh, you know, it was 09, the job market wasn't great. And I, I took the yeah. first job, uh, I think it was my second interview, uh, and first, first offer, I took the job at a paper mill in Chillicothe, Ohio. And I, I actually really enjoyed the, that industry making paper is, is actually pretty interesting. Um, but you know, just the, the market for the papers that we made was, was shrinking. It wasn't a real sustainable career, I didn't think. So um, I started, started looking around and a, a recruiter actually contacted me from the distillery in Lawrenceburg and asked me if I'd be interested in a ship manager job at the distillery. So I thought, you know, making paper sounds not as cool as making whiskey. Um, so I tough, tough call. Job. And, uh, and Lawrenceburg's right outside of Cincinnati. So it was closer to home for me as well. Um, so I took the job, started off as a ship manager. Uh, at the time, our master distiller was a, a, guy, a gentleman named Greg Metz, who's uh, pretty, pretty well known in the industry. He'd been there for a very mm -hmm. long time. He was, he was great. And I did that for about a year. And then I moved into an engineering role, um, a process engineering role. And I did that for about another year and a half. And then we kind of, you know, looked at the distillery and Greg had all this experience, but after Greg, there was a giant gap of experience. So 
They mm -hmm. created a role for myself and another gentleman called the fermentation distillation manager. And we worked under Greg, um, but we moved around to different areas of the distillery, managing different areas of the distillery. So I managed our dryer house and utilities area for a couple of years. I managed our, our mashing uh, for a couple of years. I managed our, our fermentation and yeast prop for a couple of years and, and our distillation for a couple of years. So I just kind of moved all over the distillery, managing each area, uh, learned a lot from Greg. Uh, Greg retired um, and moved on to, uh, to some, some other uh, distilleries as well after he retired from MGP. And then, and then uh, we had a guy named Gordon Working, who had also been in the industry for 40 plus years that came in. Mm -hmm. So I got to learn under him as well. And when Gordon retired, it was a, uh, you know, right place, right time. Um, and nice. it's been awesome. You know, so uh, it's been yeah. quite, a, quite a journey. <laughs> I, I never really planned on, on getting into whiskey. I, I didn't know much about whiskey. I wasn't really into whiskey before uh, I started as a shift manager. I, I was really into brewing beer in college, so it was kind of a natural transition. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I fell in love with it right away, and it's it's been an incredible career so far. So so Ian, would you consider yourself more of a engineer geek, you know, more of a chemist geek, and that's what kind of like drew you in, or yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty analytical I, in everything I do. So, so yeah, people talk about the, awesome. the art and the science and all that. I'm, I'm definitely a, a science guy. I'm analytical. Uh, I like to look at the data and follow the data. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I, I'm an engineer myself, so it's, I'm very fascinated by the whole, the process is one thing and then just the, the chemistry and the science behind it is just fascinating so and i get to enjoy a few good drinks here and there too so, <laughs> so and, and, it, and it points out i mean that brings to light uh, you know there's more than one way to you know not use a cliche but skin a cat right uh, we had um wes henderson um on our podcast a couple months ago and his you know, stance was kind of almost the opposite. Like he just kind of figures out what, you know, rather than the science part of it, he just like, well, what goes well together? What finishes this? Well, you know, over their kitchen table, he's telling us these stories, how they just bring in bottles and wine, you know, bottles, like, would this be a good finish for this beer? You know, rather than doing all the analyticals. And oh, I, I definitely think there's a creative part. I think, right. Yeah. Right. There's creative and science, but, and then there's really an art. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You know maybe you're, you're thinking at us like an art. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what do you think on that? I mean, it, it, there's got to be some creative ideas and an art to uh, making whiskey. No. Oh yeah. I mean, creativity comes in comes in really big, especially with the blending. Um, and there is an art to blending, but also mm -hmm. there's you know even even blending where it is an art and it's imperfect because you're using our human senses and that's they're hard to measure, right? Um, even in that though, there's, there's best practices and there's a, you know, you can apply the scientific method to it, uh, in some degree. And, you know, we do a lot of blind, all of our sensory, we try and do blind, we try and use best practices. Um, cause the, you know, your mind can play tricks on you too. Sometimes when you're, uh, you come in with all these biases and things. So, mm. so we, no, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a really, a really good point. You come in. So. You know, you go out, you're, you're, you go to a bar and you say, oh, there's uh, whatever, Pappy. And like, oh, I know how good that's going to taste. But if you had a bottle that didn't have that label on it, would you really know what it was? If You know, unless you're a real kind of sewer of, of the whiskey. So that, that's an interesting well, point. Every day for a year, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, money bags. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, I, I'm a, so you've been there now since beginning of January. Was it January 2022 or February 2022 that you were brought on there as a master distiller? Um, yeah, I mean, I've been at the distillery for for almost 10 years now. Um, but, oh, wow. Okay. But yeah, in, in the role for, that's about right for the role. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what are, some of the, what are some of the biggest challenges you found like coming into that position? Like, um... You know, it's, it's really been pretty fun, 
to be honest. Uh, <laughs> it's been really great. I mean, it's, it's, you love your job. There's a lot of pressure, I think, just because I'm such a fan of the distillery and uh, yeah. the distillers that came before me. I think, you know, m- most of my favorite whiskeys I've ever had uh, have come from our distillery. So, so there's some pressure in like holding that standard up um, that we've been known for and that we've had at the mm-hmm. distillery, but, um, you know, it's, it's great. It's, it's a little, probably the hardest part now is, is, uh, getting out and, and talking to people like you, uh, it's a lot of fun, <laughs> but it's just, uh, it's something that's totally new to me. Right. Because I've yeah, spent it- my whole career as kind of an engineer behind a computer screen and out in the distillery, um, yeah. you know, troubleshooting issues and stuff. I've never, never been in front of a microphone before, you know, right. so, uh, that's, that's probably been the hardest part, but everybody in the communities, you know, really, really nice. And, um, and you know, it's a, it's a fun hobby. So people, people enjoy <laughs> it. It's, it's not, yeah. not a lot of pressure packed moments really. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that, that's great to hear. You know, I, I don't, I don't know how, and just from talking to a few, you know, a few individuals in the, in the industry that we have talked to, it seems like everybody's very welcoming and, you know, gets along yeah. with everybody. Well, just being a little bit younger though, as a master distiller, I don't know if you had any, like, you know, feedback from that aspect where people just like, really you're the master distiller. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you got any feedback like that. Oh, maybe a little bit, but no, for the most part, everybody's really good. And, and even like, you know, this industry is interesting too, because, uh, you know, even com- competitors, um, you know, other distilleries, everybody's, you know, there's, there's enough room for us all. Um, and, mm-hmm. and everybody's just great. Like nobody's like, you know, it's, it's not like a real competitive atmosphere. Everybody kind of lifts each other up. You know? Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. I think, uh, no, that's, I mean, that's awesome. I, I, that's what I was hoping to hear. And, uh, we, you know, it's not like cutthroat, like, oh, you know, I'm going to try to, you know. That's consistent with what know, we've Undercut we've you or, actually. you know, some secrets out about you. I'm going to get, you know, it's nothing like yeah. that. Then everybody's very welcoming. That's good. Well, Steve, welcome back. I know you disappeared there for a second. <laughs> I, I, I disappeared. <laughs> what? I disappeared. That's <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, go ahead, Steve. You have uh no, I was saying that that's very consistent, you know, with what we've heard with uh, talking to others in the in the industry as well, and it's and that's so so great to hear. It's it's a big family, I, I guess. It's an extended family when when you get into it. Um, so no, I, go ahead, Gary. Well, I was going to just kind of circle back to something you had said. Some of, you said some of your favorite whiskeys are you know in the distillery you work at now. Um, former M, formerly MGP. So they just kind of rebranded themselves as Ross and Squibb. Is that kind of, or did MGP, how did that work out? out in out? No, so so we're still MGP. We're not not formerly MGP. Okay. We're still MGP. Okay. My... Um, it's just that the, the distillery is the Ross and Squibb distillery uh, okay. you know, owned by MGP. Um, gotcha. So MGP, you know, with our acquisition of, of Luxco a couple of years ago, Luxco. we now have yep. you know, a few distilleries. We have um, the Lux yeah. Row Distillery down in in, yep. um, in Bardstown. We have the yep. Limestone Branch Distillery, and then we have Distillador Gonzalez Lux as well, where the some of our tequila. Yeah. So yep. so there's you know four distilleries now in the MGP family. So you know instead of just MGP of Indiana, we wanted a name that, that meant a little more. And that's where we went with the Ross. Yeah. And, um, and I don't know that we've done the best job of kind of putting out, you know, the, the meaning of that Ross and Squibb, but, but what it is, is basically a, a tribute to the first two distilleries that set on our site. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, there's a long history of distilling in Lawrenceburg, uh, distilling mm-hmm. on our site started in 1847 with the Rossville Union Distillery. It started by George Ross with Ross and Ross and Squibb. And then on the northern part of our campus, the Squibb Distillery started in 1869. And that Squibb Distillery would go on to operate through Prohibition. Uh, in 1921, mm-hmm. it was actually purchased by George Remus, the, the famous bootlegger and namesake bootlegger. for our bourbons. Um, and then that would, after Prohibition, would be bought by the Shenley Company and become the old Quaker Distillery. And it shut down in the 80s. And we purchased that property in the 2010s. 
and we utilize those old Shenley, old Quaker rick houses now um, for maturation. And uh, the Rossville Union Distillery, um, it shut down during Prohibition. And then when they went to restart during Prohibition, they had a big fire that started in the cooker building, burned down most of the mm-hmm. distillery. And at that point in 1933, Seagram's came in, um, they mm-hmm. bought up the property and rebuilt the distillery. So that distillery oh, wow. that Seagram's built in the 30s and 40s is really the distillery that we're still operating today. Uh, Seagram's yes. had it all the way till 2002. And um, you know that's when Seagram's dissolved they sold off their mm-hmm. assets. Uh, our distillery got sold to Pernod. Uh, Pernod had it till 2008. Then uh, a holding company out of the Caribbean actually bought us. Uh, then mm-hmm. we were operating under the moniker LDI for a couple years. And then in 2011, wow. MGP came in and bought the distillery. And we've been MGP ever since. Um, that Ross and Squibb was just a, a rebranding of the distillery, but we're still part of the MGP family. Yeah, there's a lot of different like twists and turns in the history and how it got to where it is today. I, I mean, honestly, I'm a history. My, my first degree was a secondary education of the history minor. So the history to me was very, uh, you know, very interesting and in how all the, especially Remus, he was an interesting guy. I was reading up on him, George Remus. Wow, what a what a crazy guy. <laughs> yeah. But um, just to circle back around real quick, Steve, and I'll let you go. Um, you mentioned earlier some of your favorite uh, whiskeys are at your, uh, the distillery you work at now. Um, what, what are some of those, those favorite whiskeys that you, that you like? (laughs) So, um, so we don't typically, we don't, um, name our customers, uh, just cause we have, you know, we have like 760 some customers now on the bulk spirit side. Um, Mm. and we, you know, once, once they purchase that whiskey from us, it's really their story to tell. Uh, most of mm-hmm. them are really open and honest about it because they yep. wear that uh, you yeah. know, MGP uh, badge or... with pride. But um, but we still don't like to name our customers. Okay. And we also have some NDAs sure. with some. So And I, oh, I can't remember who hush. we have an NDA with and who we don't. But <laughs> well, we'll get some, you in trouble. Uh, there are some <laughs> former releases from our customers that are, are some of my favorites. But then also, um, you know, our, our Rossville Union Barrel Proof, the the, the last mm-hmm. bottling of that, the 117 proof, that was one of my favorite nice. rye whiskeys in a very, very long time. Um, and, and some of the repeal series have been some of my favorite of course. as well. And nice. also just, um, you know, thieving some some really old barrels at the distillery have <laughs> been some of my favorite as well. Yeah. <laughs> You're t- yeah, you were talking about that when- when the, uh, In the cookie, gar- cookie jar there. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the stuff that it hasn't been bottled, and you just kind of have the old barrels in the distillery that you found, and just kind of yeah, yeah. We have that. that's yeah, that's awesome. Have some, <laughs> that's some stuff aging that uh, that hopefully we'll be able to release someday. <laughs> nice fringe benefits of trying all that, right? It's a master mm-hmm. so. Wow, it's your job, you, I guess. Though <laughs> you mentioned you had, I mean, quite a few customers in the in the bulk spirit. So, so in, in the in the cons- on the consumer side, you know when. Somebody uh, looks at a new distillery, you know, and uh, Gary and I throw out MGP quite often. You know, it's like, hey, is that, you know, who's sourcing the juice? You know, <laughs> um, so and, and so that they can either take some of the, you know, the, the aged spirits that you have and start their own brand and make it their own. Or uh, I think does MGP also offer, you know, a way for, you know, for you guys to start the up and, and handle a lot of the process for them as they as they get going until they can get their own age spirits or i i guess you know just overall like mgp is, is a big name and you hear it quite often in a lot of different spirits out there you know a lot of d- different bourbon has has it how does that i guess uh work i mean is, is it a do you Obviously, I think you, you think it's a good thing, right? Um, but but how does it work when you have so many people, you know, sourcing MGP? I mean, how does that process work? Um, that's a good question, um, and I'm not really the person <laughs> to answer it because uh, I just I don't have a lot to do with our bulk sales. I'm really in okay. production. I'm making the whiskey, 
And then, um, you know, I'm a big part of blending the whiskey for our own brands and a big part of, um, you know, get out and talk to people about our own brands. But I I really just make the whiskey um, and and promote our own brands. And the bulk sales is, is a totally different team. And I work with those guys sometimes when we have people into the distillery, uh, customers into the distillery, but I'm, I'm very not in the weeds of, of actually selling, um, on the bulk side. So, That's a different like, but it's just like the real basic is there's a lot of different ways that, that people can buy whiskey from us. Um, you know, um, some, they can, they can have buy it before we make it. So we lay it down for them. Uh, and then we can age it for them or they can take it to their distillery and age it. Um, you know, we do age whiskey for ourselves that will then either, you know, go into our brands or go um, into bulk sales, um, you know, as aged goods. So there, there's all different ways um, that people can buy whiskey from us, but I'm not really the, the expert on, on that part of our business. I just just a curious question that's all just because you know you must have a lot a lot of barrels <laughs> yeah there is a lot um yeah we we don't we don't say the exact number um and it you know we're, we're publicly traded and we just never have so you know we would have to make some right. official release you know uh we can't just sure sure not running out anytime soon no 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 we're not we're no. now <laughs> But there's a big demand. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, the market. I would say over the last what decade or so has just really exploded. Uh, I guess that's when Steve and I, probably in the last you know eight nine years, we've really gotten into the whiskey and more specifically yeah. bourbon and rye. Um, it's kind of exploded, and I'm really curious to see what the future holds. I know blend um, finishes is something that um, seems to have picked up steam over the last what five ten years as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh what's your thoughts on, on on finishes do you guys do any finishes at mgp we so um in the ross and squib brand family we don't do any finishes right now um mm-hmm. that's not to say that we won't in the future but um mm-hmm. you know at lux row john Rempy does a great job with finishes with some of the blood oaths and the davies county mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and then, uh, Steve beam does some finishes down limestone branch with the Yellowstone limited. Yeah. And, and then we just, uh, we just recently acquired Penelope too. So they, I heard that a lot of finishes, yeah. uh, with the whiskey. Congratulations. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I just read that too. That's awesome. Well, I know, and I've been reading this too, and you correct me if any of this is wrong, but I know the rise typically are a little more finicky and difficult to kind of get the right, um, finished product with working with rise is a little, they're a little more touchy, I guess, than corn, um, in terms of a base product. And I guess my question based on that would be how, you know, how have you guys, um, cause I know a lot of, you source a lot of rise to different, uh, whiskey companies as well. How, how, you know, how did you come up with, you know, not perfecting it, but having a pretty effective system for your rise and, and, and sourcing it to other, other folks. Uh, so we are the, the leading distiller of rye whiskey by, a right. lot um right you know i think there's been years where we've made up you know 75 percent of the rye on this shelf wow. has come from us um wow so so really we're we're able to do that um rye is really hard to distill so um yep. secondary finishes i you know i've done some experimentation but we haven't done any uh real finishes on the ross and squib side so i can't speak to that that much but but from just a distillation, uh, mashing, mm-hmm. fermenting, and distilling perspective, rye is really difficult. And the reason for that is that, you know, when once you mash it, um, when you're cooking, the gelatinization temperature is much lower than corn. So, mm-hmm. so um, you cook at temperatures that aren't sterile. Um, and for mm-hmm. that reason, you you don't have to cook at temperatures that aren't sterile, but we cook at temperatures that aren't sterile. We think it scorches the grain and produces some off flavor mm-hmm. at sterile temperatures. So your your sanitation programs have to be a lot more robust in the distillery. And then when you do uh, heat it up to that gelatinization temperature and mash it, it gets really viscous and hard to move mm-hmm. around the distillery. It's hard to pump. Um, there's a lot of 
lot of these infermentable uh, like beta glucans and penisans and these these gums that mm. they get real sticky and viscous. So so it's hard to pump when you're fermenting it. It's hard to control your temperature curves during fermentation because of that viscosity uh, will really reduce the heat transfer uh, coefficient on your your heat exchangers or your cooling coils. However, you're uh, removing that heat generated during fermentation. And then when you go to distill it, um, everything has to be kind of oversized. You know, it's going to foul up your distillation columns a lot faster than like a, a high corn bourbon is going to. And, and then probably the biggest um, hurdle that is why most of the other heritage distilleries down in Kentucky don't make a mm -hmm. lot of rye. They only do it you know, some of them don't do it at all. The ones that do it mostly maybe do it a day a month and then they have to shut everything down and clean out is distilleries our size have to do something with um, with all that spent grain, you know, after fermentation. So so, you know, once we get done fermenting out all the starch and sugars, um, you know, we have to send that send that mash to a, a beer still. We strip out the alcohol and everything else that comes out the bottom of that beer still um we have to do something with so we have to do something with all that spent grain and water and what we do with it is we send it to a series of centrifuges we spin out the solids um and then that that centrate the solubles and liquid from those centrifuges goes to a series of evaporators we drive off the water uh, and we create what's called we call syrup <laughs> um which is about 30 percent solids and then we spray that syrup back onto the solids and dry it to about um, ten percent moisture, um, and that becomes animal feed, and that goes out to feedlots and farmers and and whatever. Um, so, so that uh -huh. process is so much more difficult with grain, uh, with rye grain, with rye mashes than it is with corn, because. Um, all your conveying equipment gets gummed up. Uh, your dryers get gummed up. Your evaporators wow. foul really quickly. And and we've been doing it for so long that we have figured out a lot of those hurdles. And we figured out a lot of them even in the last you know decade since I've been there. But um, but we you know we've been producing rye at this distillery pretty much since the distillery started. Um, mm -hmm. And we continued to produce it during a time period in history where nobody else really was, um, mm. you know, because shortly after Prohibition, you know, after Prohibition, most of the Eastern rye distilleries never restarted. And the ones that mm. did uh, quickly went out of business because we just kind of lost our flavor uh, for rye during Prohibition. Mm. And but our distillery continued to make it for a long time because it was going into all of the blended whiskeys that Seagram's was producing. So mm. there was a key ingredient into all those blended whiskeys uh, Seagram's was producing. So then, you know, in the 2010s, uh, when rye started to get popular again, we were sitting there with, you know, you know, eight decades of experience on everybody else right. making. Right. Um, and, and it, and you know, it, bourbon um we specialize in rye we love rye we love the flavors that mm -hmm. come from rye but bourbon is easier mm -hmm. so if you're a, a bourbon <laughs> distillery and you're making all the bourbon you can you know you're selling all the bourbon you can make uh why even mess with it right <laughs> you know because yeah exactly a lot more exactly so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the market, you know, in terms of whiskey breakdown is, but I, I, I mean, I, I got to imagine that you know, bourbon is probably a little more popular than rye is. Oh um, yeah, it's, it's a much bigger category than rye. Right, mm -hmm. right. But you guys have such a great handle on the market of rye, so I mean, you know, that's not a bad thing either. So, um, so see, you got something for Ian? No, I, I think uh, that was that was a. a, a a load to take in and thank you so much. I'm just, my head's just processing this and, and everything from what you were yeah. saying, just kind of visualizing all the different processes. That's how, you know, engineers minds work, I guess, but yes. that was that was exciting. Yeah, that, that was a very detailed explanation that I, and I knew rise were, you know, difficult, right? But why were they, well, you explained why? it very well. And yeah, now I will never have that. I can, I answer that question very, very well now. But, so thank you. Very you know, so like with rye, you know, with the sour mash, right? Is there some of it that goes into the next batch? Mm -hmm. 
right? Is that the same with rye then as it, as it is with bourbon? Yeah. So when people talk about a sour mash, they're referring to, to taking some of that, that centrate that we call thin stillage off of those centrifuges yeah. and putting it back into um, your pre-cooker or cooker um, to, we do it for a few reasons. Um, it's called sour mash because we're reducing the pH, right? So we're getting in a pH yeah. range that the yeast can tolerate um, but that is going to inhibit the bacterial growth. So it's going to help those yeast get a head start on the bacteria um, in fermentation. But we also do it because um, for efficiency, because we're we're recovering some of that heat uh, from the distillation process, and um, we're also reducing the hydraulic loading on our evaporators in the dryer house. So it helps balance uh, the distillery in that okay. way as well. So there's there's several different reasons we do that that sour mash process. Got it. So it's still with yeah. rye. The sour Gary, mash what are you doing? I see yeah. I see you opening a bottle well, there. Well, you know, <laughs> in lieu of our guest, Ian did uh, was very very nice to us. He did send us the newest release uh, from Remus. Um, I actually have the uh, release here too. So. Um, this is the highest dry, uh, bourbon whiskey, uh, that was just released. Was it about a week ago, Ian? Um, it was just announced about a week ago. You have one of, you have maybe the first bottle, uh, off, oh, off wow. the line pretty much. Um, I oh actually, wow. 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 I'm, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta give some feedback here. That, so, that bottle was taken right off of the line and, and, wow. uh, and overnighted Thank to you. you. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. Wow. I feel oh, very gosh. special. That is awesome. I, I feel wow. special just looking at it. So this is like the first feedback you'll get then from somebody outside, well, the distillery maybe. Yeah, well, we, we did. Um, we had our, our big national sales meeting uh, last week in Denver. And uh, we did a tasting with uh, Fred Minnick with it. So, so you, okay. you and Fred Minnick are the the first two. Okay, we're we're up there. The distillery. So, <laughs> yeah. so when will this be available for public consumption? So it is currently shipping. So it's currently okay. shipping to the distributors, so. and and then you know once the distributors have it, they'll get it out to the retailers. So in the next few weeks, you. Should be nice. uh, seeing it on the shelf here in the next few weeks. It's currently yes, shipping. Yeah. So I'll give you a little more information, everybody, about this. Uh, yeah. Hot off the press, hot off the press, and hot it off the distillery belt. There, it's a six-year-old 109 proof Remus highest right. rye bourbon. Um, in the mash bill, consists of 51% corn, 39% rye, and 10% malted barley. Um, it, it retails at uh, around $55. Um, and hopefully it's going to be available where you're listening to this. If not, uh, let us know. We'll hopefully help you get a bottle, but, uh, I just poured myself a little bit, Steve, unfortunately, I know you're in Michigan. I couldn't send you any, um, but I will Sorry. bring some up when I see you in a month, I will bring some up with me. So we will, uh, share this and, uh, again, Ian, thank you so much for bringing, I love the bottle, by the way, I love the embossing. We love the embossing of the glass. Yeah. We love that. We think that's such a cool little thing you can do to the bottles. Yeah. And we think it goes a long way with marketing and, you know, making the bottle stand out. Yeah. Our, our marketing team did a, did a great job with the labels and, uh, and our, our Remus label is moving to something very similar to that too. The Remus oh, really? Board. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. No, great. I love the, I love the mash bill too. And this may be a, an amateur question, but, um, I re I was reading how it says it's the highest rye possible. Like, so can you explain that to me, the highest rye? Yeah, so um, so you did a, a great job of explaining that, but um, it's <laughs> but it's actually 51% corn, 39% oh, rye, and 10% malted rye, not malted barley. Malted. So you take the malted rye and the unmalted rye together, and you have 49% rye. 49%. The highest rye uh, content a bourbon can be. You know what I did? You know how we were talking earlier about just assuming things, having your biases. That's what mm -hmm. I, I saw the malted and I looked away like all oh, this malted barley. <laughs> oh no. Malted That's what I did. Oh. Malted rye. So 49% malted, 49% malted, rye, 51% corn. Very yes. good. And I'll tell you the nose is very sweet. Uh, 
very sweet. And, uh, you know, usually with that high of a rye content, I would not expect that, but it doesn't have that overpowering, sometimes overpowering rye nose with the spice, you know, the, the, the spice up front. So yeah, it's very nice. Yeah. We, uh, I mean, this is a, I'm super, super excited about this cause it's, it's a all new mash bill, uh, for us, right. For anyone, I think, <laughs> I don't know of anybody else doing this, but, uh, but it's an all new mash bill. And, and up mm. until this point, everything we've done with the Remus brand has been trying to show off like the best of what we can do with our historic bourbon mash bills that we've been making at the distillery mm-hmm. for you know many decades to way back into the Seagram's era. And that's our LESV and our LBSV bourbons. So that's our 21% rye bourbon and our 36% rye bourbon. And those are both okay. you know pretty high rye, uh, 21 and 36%. That's generally much higher than you're going to find with a Kentucky bourbon. Right. It's kind of our signature Indiana high rye, we like to uh, call it. And so seven years ago, when we were looking at creating a new mash bill, you know, we wanted to take that signature Indiana rye style from our distillery and, and you know, go all the way to the max, you know, have the, the highest rye influence on a bourbon you can have. Mm-hmm. And, right. um, and yeah, we did some batches of it we've done it you know we've continued to make it in these last seven years and the last few years me and our master blender sam schmelzer have been evaluating these batches and we thought um you know we couldn't be more happy with the way they turned out and we thought yeah this year with uh some of it turning six years old uh that it was it was ready to uh show the world and we we really couldn't be happier with it. Um, I have a, a glass of it poured as well. I don't actually have a real <laughs> bottle of it. I just have the uh, the blend. Oh, wow, just for, I don't even have. I'll pour you some. Mine's <laughs> overnighted. Mine's in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I appreciate uh, you said said to me that bottle even before you had a bottle. That's 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 uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I, I have the the, the blend uh, from the distillery. But uh, not not in the real bottle yet. But to me, it's just um, it's almost like a ginger snap cookie. It's it's a lot of brown sugar and and baking spice, some cinnamon. But it is it yep. is very sweet, um, a little sweeter yep. than you might expect from forty nine percent rye bourbon. Uh, but it, yeah, exactly. All that all that spice comes through, and and yeah, like I said, to me, it's like a ginger snap cookie kind of. It's the best way I can describe it. Yeah, on the finish, I get a, a little bit of the like maybe nutmeg or something on the finish, mm-hmm. or cinnamon on the finish. I would say the palate, though, yeah, it's robust. Um, I like the higher proof, obviously. One hundred and nine, I love higher proof uh, whiskeys, and uh, like a like a caramel or a candy apple or something on the palate. That sweetness um, is uh, definitely middle and front palate, which which reminds me, you know, that it still is a bourbon, right? But but barely. Yeah. <laughs> But it's great. Oh, thank you so much. Steve, you all definitely enjoy this. I know how much you like the high I'm rise. At so. it, uh, it looks like you have it on your on the website right now. I'm looking at it right now. So oh, and, uh, the closest I yeah, what's and, that oh, sorry. And the, the other Go thing ahead. I'm really excited about with uh with this release too to me is um you know it's it's six year. We tasted it at at a bunch of different proofs. And me and Sam thought uh, 109 was was where it really shined the best, um, mm-hmm. and then you know we fought for that uh, that 54.99 SRP because yeah. you know, whiskey's just you know prices have gotten so high now, and uh, yeah. Yeah. it used to be kind of standard that that like ten dollars a year of age statement was kind of a a, a baseline of, of where you know pricing can be, and um, and now it's hard to find anything for that. And I think we're, you know, we're pricing, uh, the industry is pricing some people out. So we wanted to, yeah. to you know, have a, a really great whiskey and, you know, we're under that $10 a year. Uh, we think yep. it's a really approachable price point, you know, for something you can, you can drink, uh, not just on the special occasions, but have a, right. a special occasion worthy bourbon, not just on the special occasions. I like it. Yeah, I got to write that one down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but excellent. Uh, and again, for everybody who's listening, six-year uh, offering at 109 proof, 
uh, mash bill, 51% corn, 39% rye, 10% malted rye, so 49% rye overall. Um, and this should hopefully be, well, by the time we get the podcast out, it should probably be out there in the next week or so. Uh, yeah. Remus, uh, their hard. highest rye bourbon. So awesome job, uh, Ian, on this. I love it. I know, Steve, you're going to love it as well. And I know, Ian, we're already at I'm 40 minutes here. So we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get a couple quick hitters and get you out of here if that's okay. Um, we don't yeah. want to too much more of your time. Uh, Stevie, you want to start some quick hitters unless you had anything else or I have some quick hitters for you. No, I, I was just going to say about, you know, talking about store picks. Um, I had a George Remus and, you know, and I was blown away. I just, just first off, I, I got this and, uh, the store owner, I have a local one here in, in Michigan that I, that I use and he convinced me to do it. I had a little taste of it beforehand. And I got it. I was just blown away and I was telling everyone about it. And I was like, have you, have you tried this? Have you tried this? And so with store picks, this one I, I got here is, is one fourteen proof, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a high hitter. It's, it's extremely complex, but it's as spicy as you guys are talking about now with this, this, the highest rye here. But, um, what's, what's your, uh, opinion about store picks? I mean, do, do you think yeah. it's, uh, it's, something that's a trend that's going to continue or is it good for the, for the, for the industry and not just the, the stores? Um, I think it is good for the industry. Um, you know, it's a way to have a, a single barrel program. Um, because each, you know, every barrel is always going to be different. You know, they're, you're never going to have two barrels that are the same. Um, you know, they've, they've done a lot of, a lot of studies, um, you know, two trees of the same species in the same forest can have, you know, double digit different percentages uh, of lignans and tannins in them and, and mm. different things that are going to affect that maturation. So when you take trees from all over the country, uh, there's several different species of American oak that uh, the cooperages use. Um, you're just you're just never going to have two barrels uh, that are the same. And. You know, I think it, it adds to the experience, you know, when we blend uh, Remus 94 proof, we're trying to make that the same, uh, you know, batch after batch. We're trying to create a consistent product. So, you know, when you go buy that Remus 94 proof, exactly what you're getting. Um, but when you go get one of our barrel picks, you know, you, you don't know what you're going to get. And, and there's some excitement to that. And yeah. I think it's fun. I think it's fun for the stores to get mm-hmm. to pick. Uh, to get to come into the distillery, it's great because it gives um, you know us as distillers a chance to to interact with a lot of the store owners and a lot of the different whiskey groups that do the picks. So, you know, I have a great time with it. Um, I think it's a, a great thing. I know uh, that a lot of the retailers, it is a big commitment for the retailer because it's a lot of cases in in a barrel, mm-hmm. and um, and I know that. A lot of the retailers, there's so many different store picks to choose from now that yeah. um, that a lot of the retailers like bid off more than they could chew. Um, but I think that you know they'll they'll find the right you know what's right for their particular store, and I, I don't think they're going to go yeah. away. They may slow down a little bit, but I think that'll mm-hmm. that'll right. be a good great perspective. Thanks. Water always finds its level, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, that's going to happen. All right, a couple of uh, quick hitters, Ian. I know we're over our time here. Uh, what was the first whiskey you ever had? Oh, man. Um, How, let's say this neat. Well, you we never drank in college, so no. Right, right. So when you're 21, <laughs> well, let's say, neat, let's say neat pour, not like a mixer or anything. Neat pour? I, I really don't remember, but I, I can tell you that um, the first whiskey I had after I got my job, before I actually started with MGP, um, when I accepted my offer letter, I went to this really incredible whiskey bar in Dayton, Ohio, which is where I'm from, uh, called the Century Bar. And the bartender uh, poured me a a smooth amber old scout. I think it was like Mm. a 10 year. And that was the first... uh, that was the first whiskey wow. I had as as somebody that worked in the industry. <laughs> oh my gosh! That's MG, that's that MGP product, right? Yeah, that's MGP. Yeah, yeah Old Scout. Yeah. Yep, I got a few of those bottles. That's nice. Um, I know the answer to this question, but I'll still ask it: uh, rye or bourbon? Or scotch? 
It, it depends <laughs> on the day for me, but I, I, I enjoy rye whiskey. Typically, yeah, my, yeah. my palate uh, gravitates more towards rye whiskey, but I love bourbon too. Okay. Awesome. Very good. Um, what was the last bottle of whiskey that you bought? Uh, our, <laughs> it's just our, our Boston <laughs> Union Barrel Proof. I don't think he buys any. <laughs> no, I, yeah. I do. Uh, I do. A lot <laughs> really? of the ones behind me I bought. Um, but our Boston nice. Union Barrel Proof is, is my like everyday drinker. So I okay. keep that stocked. Yeah. That was probably going to be my next question. What's your everyday drinker? But you just kind of answered that. So. I was going to say, what, what's your Friday night drinker? End of the week drinker? Uh, probably that as well. But um, oh, gosh. but if we have you know if we have people over and, and grill out on our patio or something, um, it's our our whole lineup. I, I you know oh, uh, yeah. for everybody that comes in some a few of the different repeal series um, nice. and, and Gatsby and and everything nice. like that on the shelf. So. Yeah, that's well. That'd be special occasion for me. The repeal and the Gatsby. Those are those are awesome top top shelf uh, whiskeys. So. Um, Let's see. Do I have any other uh, quick hitters? I think I think those now, are the what, main ones. What, what surprised you the most about the whiskey industry once you got in it? Good one. That's that's a tough one. Um, I think probably what surprised me the most was just um, I didn't quite understand um, when I first started the the gravity of the maturation process. Right, like. There's just so much waiting in whiskey because you you create something today and you're you're so excited yeah. for it and then it yeah put it in a barrel and you wait and you wait and you wait um, and yeah. so that's probably the the biggest thing and also from from like a business uh, standpoint too that's a big thing right like we're we're yeah. laying all this whiskey down for for you know however many years ahead and. Um, and you know we don't. Nobody knows exactly what the market's going to do. I mean, uh, you know, we're confident about it. Uh, the whiskey market has been incredible, yeah. um, and we are going to keep producing it and, and making it. And hopefully, in thirty years, uh, there's still people drinking it, right? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Oh, I think it's booming. I'll. I'll this will be my last one. Um, we kind of asked this to everybody that we have on the podcast, and thank you again, Ian, for joining us tonight. You're, you've been so gracious with your time. Um, so what would you be your advice for a novice who's just starting in the whiskey world, right? Trying to find their way, um, in terms of tasting and collecting, um, what, what would be your advice for that, this individual in terms of where they should start? Um, I know every individual has their own kind of path and palette, obviously. Um, what, what would you be your advice for a novice who's just getting started in, you know, with, with whiskey, where, where would you want them to start in? What, what, what advice would you give them? Well, um, obviously they should start with the Ross and Squibb brands with the Rangers <laughs> Bourbons and Rossville Union Rye. Um, no, but, uh, but, but seriously, I think I would just tell them, um, you know, uh, enjoy what they enjoy, uh, drink with friends and enjoy responsibly. But I think, mm -hmm. I think right now, um, don't get caught up in, in all the hype around, uh, don't take it too seriously. Don't get caught up in all the hype about, uh, you know, chasing this, this bottle or that bottle that, you know, just, uh, there's a lot of great whiskey on the shelf and yeah. uh, you can go to your liquor store and get a lot of great whiskey. You don't have to, you know, camp outside of a liquor store, <laughs> just, uh, just get what's available like and enjoy it. I like, it. yeah. That wasn't me. That was, that was my brother, Steve. He was the one that was camped out. No, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the market's gotten crazy with, uh, you know, the secondary prices secondary and price everything and, yeah. and these bourbon hunts and everything. It's, it's ridiculous, but we are not those. No, we're pretty, <laughs> we're pretty low key. Yeah, even I, though I, I've been... I think, I think we, we, we've said that we would never pay a second. I I've never paid secondary prices on any of mine. Um, but, you know, when like store picks and all that, that's a different story. But, mm -hmm. you know, when, when amongst friends, if, if I can share some of my whiskey and tell a story with it, that's mm -hmm. the best night that, that I can ask for. Right. Got a story right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, all right. I, I, I guys, agree with that. Totally. 
All right, Ian, we're going we're gonna to let you go. Thank you again for all your time tonight. We really appreciate oh, you coming you. on, spending some time with us. And everybody, again, Remus just uh, launched their new uh, straight, bourbon, uh, straight bourbon whiskey here. It's the High Rye six-year uh, 109 proof, uh, about $55 MSRP. It should be out in stores probably in the next week or two, so give it a, give it a try. It's great. Uh, Real Bourbon Bros approved. Uh, highly recommended. So, Shortlist Ian, it. Shortlist it, yeah. <laughs> Good luck, good luck this year, except for the last game of the season. And, uh, <laughs> Football. And, and we appreciate your time and sending us the whiskey. And um, thank you again. We, we appreciate everything. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ian. Yeah, thanks, Gary, Steve. It was awesome talking to you yeah, guys. Really appreciate your time. Well, Steve, I don't know what my favorite part of that interview with Ian was. I think it was probably the wow. free uh, whiskey I got from him. <laughs> well, no, yeah. it was his time and energy. You know, yeah, it was it was just wonderful knowledge he gave us, yeah. and insight into MGP. So thank you again, Ian. Uh, thank you, Remus. Yeah, what, what uh, a what a knowledge drop of Oscar. information. Yeah, just, just wow, just uh, yeah. a technically uh, correct um, knowledge drop from a master distiller. Wow, this I yeah, I'm, I'm giddy. <laughs> this is hell fun. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Even though he's an Ohio State fan, we'll we'll, we'll still put him on. Uh, our, I kind of overlooked our, that. <laughs> yeah. Well, as long as we're, we're, we won the last two games, so we can you know kind of overlook those. Oh things, so. boy! <laughs> all right, all right, guys. Thanks again for listening. Uh, remember to follow us on social media. All our platforms are up and going, and they have been. Uh, do you to follow a like uh, comments um, and we'll be out with another podcast soon. Uh, we do have a whiskey tasting coming up here, Steve, right soon yeah, in the next yeah. month or so. So that's exciting we news have, for everybody. We have, uh, some uh, drops from that too. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so uh, stay, stick with us folks. Thanks again for listening and uh, giddy up. Yeah. Enjoy. Enjoy.